0: volume 1 chapter 18 of mrs armitage or female domination by mrs gore this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by helen taylor chapter 18 were i a man a duke i would remove these tedious stumbling blocks being a woman i will not be slack to play my part in fortune's pageant shakespeare the offending duchess belonged to a class of women rare in our own times and country though not unfrequent at the more troublous epochs or in less tranquil lands who born to no earthly business make the business of the whole world their own not that she was endowed with the far-sighted spirit of intrigue of a princesse des oursins not that she boasted the coarse but vigorous energies of a sarah of marlborough or even the persevering cunning of a madame de maintenon but she had all their activity all their art in establishing a sway over the conduct of others and withal a kind of fidgetiness of mind which seemed to derive new stimulus from total want of occupation she was an avarilla marinum with wider opportunities In girlhood unable to resign herself to the uneventful subordination of the nursery and the schoolroom she was always plotting the dismissal of an under-governess or trying to inspire the viscountess her mother with a spirit of patronage for some pet drawing-master or mantua-maker introduced into the great world her manoeuvres to avoid such and such a partner or to achieve an invitation to such and such a ball, were of almost machiavellian art and from the moment she discovered that the young duke of spaulding was suspected to be on the eve of a matrimonial engagement with the daughter of one of his yorkshire neighbours marked him for her own she had cared little for him as england's premier duke scarcely more as the inheritor of sixty thousand per annum but when she saw in the wealthy magnate a prize to be won per force of management a captive to be transferred from other nets to her own there was no resisting the temptation and so skilfully were her projects conceived and executed that very few months sufficed to render the strategist in hanging sleeves her grace the duchess of spaulding perhaps it was the ready fruition of the scheme which soon rendered propensity a habit and habit second nature for the duchess now became a manoeuvrer by vocation rich noble admired she could not rest for very restlessness but seemed to invent objects of desire for the mere labour of the attainment without interest in politics she became a party woman without taste for the arts a patroness without one pious or christianly aspiration a zealous high churchwoman the poor duke whom she had finessed out of his first love she now cheated out of his hereditary avocations trafficked in his behalf with ministry chaffered with his interest haltered with his patronage he could not promise a living but her grace contrived to induct some tory protege of her own he could not renew the lease of a farm but she managed to introduce a clause did he presume to order new furniture for his library he was sure to find it translated to one of the drawing-rooms or if he was rash enough to purchase a picture or give a commission for a statue it was certain to be pounced upon for the duchess's private suite of apartments where of all the house it was least likely to meet his eye not that he was an unaffectionate husband but the overstrained activity of his wife fatigued him to death the duke of Spalding's constitutional indolence was even more than patrician and he found himself wedded to a whirlwind he was naturally fond of music but within two years of marriage her grace beconcerted him into abhorrence of all harmony he took to hunting but the duchess contrived to be neck and neck with him over every five-barred gate in the county he sought refuge in agriculture but her grace patent ploughed him out of the field and ran him to earth in a crop of rutabaga to whatever pastime or employment he addressed himself her intention cast its shadow before and scared by the pursuit spaulding's occupation was gone in a moment there was but one resource he became a clubman and locked himself up in the dear delights of whist. The blue chambers of Whites and Brookses defy the intrusion of manoeuvring wives, and within those sacred retreats the hereditary legislator had for many years past shuffled, cut, and dealt away the session-a period for whose prolongation not even Bellamy himself could supplicate the gods more fervently than the hen-hunted Duke of Spaulding still there was spalding castle in the distance with its six or seven months of marital martyrdom and had not the duchess one day when cursed with many a granted prayer suddenly hit upon a new object for which to persecute the ministry with little notes marked private and confidential of solicitation the poor duke might perhaps have ended his woes by suspending himself for very weariness to one of his ancestral oaks but she had luckily become ambitious of fettering down her husband by a place at court buckhounds mastership of the horse or new lord chamberlainship what matters it to the reader and having assailed a chief clerk by the loan of her opera-box to his wife a private secretary by sides of venison and hampers of pineapples and the private secretary's public master by exaggerated representations of borough interest church preferment and local influence pertaining to the house of Spaulding, her grace's manoeuvres were eventually crowned with success from july to january if not from january to july the duke was now no longer his own master while she became more than ever her own mistress the joys of new cares too were added to her former pleasures She had children and the children had nurses, governesses, tutors, masters to be out-generalled and outwitted; it was a triumph for a nature such as hers to manoeuvre a naughty child to the opera or a sickly one to a drive on a damp day; she taught the little creatures to plan, to plot, to deceive, to equivocate, to lie, and the young lords consequently grew up into roues and the young ladies into women of fashion but while this auspicious education was in progress the duchess did not slumber at her post she had always some petty intrigue to carry on some promising young clergyman of high character and a very pretty vein for poetry to manoeuvre into a preben, some offending country neighbour of opposite politics whose daughters she had vowed should never enter the pale of almax some nineteenth son of a nineteenth scotch cousin who she was trying to get made attache at rio janeiro or some stripling of a political economist whom she was bent upon having reviewed into notoriety in the quarterly nay between the pauses of her grander movements she would even busy herself with the welfare of such small deer as pages or nursery-maids set all her energies to work to expose the peccadilloes of some noble friend's groom of the chambers or congratulate herself upon getting one of Farmer Smith's Patagonian progeny promoted to be drum major in the Blues. Between such a woman, such a Duchess, and Mrs. Armitage, there existed a moral antipathy. It was not that the Lady of Holywell was less active, less domineering than the Lady of Spalding Court, but Mrs. Armitage busied herself only with her own concerns and those of her family while the duchess could scarcely bear that a lamp should be extinguished in one of the tin mines of cornwall without her interference mrs Armitage despised the duchess as an ambitious intrigante. the duchess despised mrs Armitage as bournay even in her despotism yorkshire wide as it is was scarcely large enough to contain their vast animosity and then the Armitage was a Whig and the Spalding a Tory, the Armitage a great lady of the country, the Spalding a great lady of the town. The Duchess could by no means mortify the Squiress, for the Squires was a firm and consistent contemner of rank by itself. Rank, never ventured a step beyond her station, and afforded no opportunity to the enemy of humiliating her by repulse the wemmersleys indeed had for a moment rejoiced the busy duchess with the hope of inflicting a humiliation on holywell the moment she discovered them to sail in the north of mrs Armitage's opinion she courted them into the summer radiance of her smiles patronised them here caressed them there and exhibited them as the chief objects of her favour but here again she was mistaken whatever took the wemmersleys to the other side of the county mrs Armitage considered as a happy riddance to the neighbourhood of holywell and she was under a real obligation to the duchess for rendering mill hill so often tenantless at length it occurred to the great lady whose temper was not softened nor her disposition ennobled by the practices of a long life of art and artifice to allure arthur armytage into her brilliant london circle and attach him to the feet of one of her beautiful daughters who might dismiss him with scorn when a nobler suitor should present itself but by one of those unlooked-for entanglements which perplex the web of human destiny at the very moment the duchess of spalding was courting the young captain to her house he was courting jack baltimore's daughter into his the morning post announced arthur's abrupt marriage and the duchess was defeated but the morning post also announced the dejeuner in portland place and the duchess was avenged what a marriage what a match what a blow for mrs Armitage! nor had the wemmersleys failed to feed the vast bonfire of her rejoicings with all the fagots they could make up of ill-natured rumours touching the baltimore family in return her grace favoured them with the impertinent comments transmitted from paris by lord wyndham spaulding in his letters to his sisters she knew that marian was shy and awkward easily counselled easily governed and with no stronger shield than upright intentions to secure her from being counselled and governed ill she knew that the timid mrs arthur had fallen into the control of lady arabella Quinn, and immediately resolved should she ever visit yorkshire to convert her into an implement of torture to her long-offending mother-in-law her grace's first measure towards the accomplishment of her projects was to obtain favour in the sight of arthur although her sons were intimately acquainted with him The Duchess knew little more of the young life-guardsman previous to his marriage than is to be learned by a five minutes colloquy at Almack's, where the interlocutors are a well-diamonded duchess of fifty and a shy young cornet of twenty-one, or by still briefer interviews at the door of her opera-box, where in the absence of a more eligible escort his assistance was tolerated in calling the carriage or tying on the snow-shoe. At that period, indeed, she had felt a certain degree of hesitation in courting him to her house his assiduities might interfere with those of the young marquis of Clysdale or annoy the highly exclusive duke of witherby whom she had still hopes of securing for her daughter honoria but all was over now though lady honoria and lady amabel were still unmarried the duchess could with perfect propriety invite her young yorkshire neighbour who must of course be leading a comfortless bachelor life to dine in st james's square or take a seat in their box whenever he had no better engagement nothing could be more charitable nothing more kind than such attentions particularly considering their political differences and her son leicester's recent defeat at thoroton even her charge to her daughters of pray be very civil to young Armitage." but take care not to let him be in your way can scarcely be considered a drawback on her well-meant hospitality while the secret rejoinder of lady amabel to her sister rely upon it mamma intends to make him her fire-guard as she did wemmersley last season whenever she wanted to interfere with our flirtations need only be taken as an evidence of the success of their ladyship's distinguished education in the art and science of Modern Manners End of volume one, chapter eighteen.